0: Actually, trust comes from within. Trust yourself, and then you can start to trust the people and the events and the things that are happening around you.
1: This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersection of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Warning, and I'm here with Shauna Wakefield who has been a friend of the podcast since before it even launched. And many of you are familiar with Shauna from being on the second episode um, where we talked about the intentions for this virtual practice space. Hey, Shauna. Hey, Kate. We actually just recorded the interview that you're about to hear with Joanne and Eve. It's so much fun. And just wanted to take a moment to hear from you, Shauna, a little bit about who you are and a reminder for folks about how and why you're involved in this project.
2: I am an evolving being like many of us. I am someone who has worked in international development for a very long time, always around women's rights and gender justice issues. I say I'm evolving because I'm working much more around embodiment these days and really honing in on feminist and collective leadership and and transformational change and how to support that inside of my consulting work. And I love the podcast, so I'm excited to be part of this advisory circle. Joanne is someone who I've known for almost 20 years now, and she was my she was the deputy director of UNIFEM when I started there, which is the Women's Fund at the UN. She is, as you'll hear on this podcast, one of the most egoless and, and fun and brilliant people that I know. And Day and her have been friends for a very long time also, um, which we'll learn, um, you know, they've, they've been coworkers too. And I love their friendship and I love their podcast and, and just the idea of bringing these two um, podcasts together, which are really about how do we be our full selves in social justice movements and social justice work. So you'll hear that in the conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about the ways in which the amazing, brilliant folks on the advisory circle are becoming a little bit more present voices here on the show. You can hear Ilana Lerman in episode 16. With if not now, talking about her incredible skill around culture building, you can hear Kieran Kanaknat in the introduction to season two, talking with me about what we're up to this season and her role on the advisory circle. Um, hopefully, we'll do something soon with Shalini Somayaji, who's also a brilliant member of the advisors, and Mora Bailey, who is co-working on a series for 2020 around facilitation and space holding. That is going to be amazing. So really happy and excited to be having Shauna conduct this interview with these two old bitches um, from the Two Old Bitches podcast. So Ida Lise is 72 and has been honing her bitchcraft for decades, she says. She's a working class Puerto Rican immigrant raised in a middle class, mostly Jewish Brooklyn neighborhood, went to Columbia Law School, has been a fierce social justice activist her entire life, and has served really major roles in some progressive organizations like as the vice president of the Ms. Foundation and ED of the Tides Foundation. Joanne Sandler is also here, 67 years old, and is on an endless journey to find her bitchy voice, she says. She's written articles and books about things like gender at work, how feminists change bureaucracies and bureaucracies change feminists, women's rights have no country, and has done just incredible work in feminism internationally and she also worked at the un development fund for women for many years and at many other women's rights organizations wow and she's traveled to more than 65 countries that is incredible so together joanne and edelice are two old bitches their podcast is incredible and it's linked in the show notes and today you're going to hear shauna edelice and joanne talk about aging in movement work. Uh, we are all aging. <laughs> they talk about the weirdness of being called elders for the first time, uh, some of the wisdom that they've gained, ways they're taking themselves less seriously and enjoying pleasure in their work. And it's just really an incredible privilege to be able to listen in on these decades of wisdom and also the irreverence and the joy and the chemistry that they have as dear friends. Without further ado, here's their conversation with Shana.
2: So I would just love to hear from you first about um, your, your podcast, Two Old Bitches. I'd love to hear, what is that about? And how did you come up with that together? I could see you love saying bitches. I do. I don't say it enough. <laughs> oh, bitches. And so do we.
3: So do we. It stands for something, right? It does. It starts for being in total charge of herself. Uh-huh. Um, which I learned from a Native American activist in the, um, upstate New York. Um, only she used it because she was often in her community called a witch. So she turned it into woman in total control of herself. So we adapted it to together and it is intentionally transgressive and reclaiming. So how did we come up with y 2 all Bitches? Because
0: Ida, Lisa and I were um, like geeky facilitators, we were enjoying our post 9 to 5 job life being facilitators, and we were talking about how many of our friends, uh, mostly women, had kind of reached that point in their lives where you know they'd been leaders of social justice organizations, had been involved in social justice and women's rights or other types of movements for a long time, stepped down from formal leadership, but weren't, quote unquote, retired. So that notion of, like, you work and then you reach whatever that age is and then you retire was not true for
3: most of the women that we knew. Why don't we start a podcast? And I think it was also important about that right before that. I'd done an art project called Who Is That Old Bitch? Right. And that, which may be alien to to sweet young things like yourselves and other perhaps (laughs) listeners, it's sort of like that shock, you know, of one day you look in the mirror and, you know, you're brushing your teeth and you go, who is that old bitch staring back at you, right? Yeah. And that there really aren't many, and there weren't at that time, many models or narratives about what it meant to grow older that were positive. It was all pretty negative about getting frailer, infirm, um, marginalized, unimportant, irrelevant. Or how to look younger, how to, you know, the different things you could do to your skin Mm. to make it look elastic and fresh and young and da-da-da. Right. And we didn't want to do that. God knows we're vain, right? But there's a difference between trying to look like you're 30 um, and trying to... No, but to Ideliz look was nice. taking photos of, like, the most shocking parts of
0: her body and asking other people to take photos of the most you know, shocking parts of And I became a student of, of
3: gray hair, body. right? Because people would stop me in the street. I remember one woman yeah. who... I think it was like 10th Avenue or something, and someone taps me on the shoulder. And I turn around, and there's this middle aged woman, and she looks at me and she goes, I just want you to know, I think you're so brave. Wow. And I was like, Brave? And she says, Your hair, it's beautiful, but you're so brave. I'm not as brave as you. And she kept walking.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. So Joanne and I are very brave. Yeah. Just because we are.
2: What I want to know is if you had a reclaiming moment. You mentioned looking in the mirror and saying, oh, this is what my face is like now. Was there a reclaiming, you know, in that moment? Or did something happen, you know, later where you're like, I'm an old bitch and I'm reclaiming what that means for myself?
0: I don't think about my age ever really until someone else starts thinking about my age usually. So... I think that when Ide started doing that Who Is That Old Bitch project, it kind of forced me to think a little bit about the connection between how I feel and how I appear, how I might present. The thing is, there are lots of moments in public life where people tell you that. So for me, it's the subway. It amazes me how when I walk in this on the subway often it's like a jumping jack thing like people get up and say take my seat right and there's that moment when that happens I mean it'll probably happen to you at some point if you still live in New York City when you're in your 70s or 80s that's that was absolutely not one moment but many moments where where people started reflecting back what they see and I realized that yeah
3: I needed to reclaim Mm -hmm. that. Idea. I don't need to sit down. But I think what you said points to what I think is key. It's not about a moment. It's about a process. Yeah. It really exactly. is a process. And I think the art project for me was a process. It's like healing is usually not about a moment. Healing is usually about a process. And in that same way, this is about bringing some attention Acknowledging you're having this weird experience to you, Joanne. Right? Why are they tr- offering me exactly? Their seat, you know, oh, they see me as an old lady,
0: and and also I think doing to all bitches and talking to so many women who are part of this process with us, right, and who are questioning and coming in at different from different perspectives, has also helped me to think about. How can I be intentional about, like, enjoying the privilege of what it means to be
3: in our 60s and 70s and 80s? It's about aging, and aging is not about a particular age. You know, it's interesting, you said, oh, like, when you're in your 70s and 80s, and you're still in your 60s, yeah. and people are offering you seats on the train, <laughs> that moment when you get toward the midpoint of life where what was, you know, so far away is to be unreal, right? The end of life. It's so distant and it has, you know, it's like that horizon is barely visible, right? But when you get to the midpoint of life, suddenly it's sort of like, oh, that may be closer Mm -hmm. to me than the beginning. And what's that going to be like and what does it mean? And I think particularly for women. As you get into your 40s, as you get premenopausal, as you're, you know, you're not a sweet young 20-year-old who everybody thinks is adorable, yeah, yeah, and sexy, and uh, it's that period of fertility, right? Obvious fertility is coming, drawing to an end. What does that mean about your place in the world? Mm-hmm. And your aspirations and your, your dreams? That's and are you going to be defined by outdated social norms, or are you going to define yourself?
2: Well, I love, I love this, the reclaiming of oldness, you know, and, and aging for your own power and what you want to be in the world, and the fact that the Two Old Bitches podcast is telling all those stories. And I'm wondering, like, what are the practices of bishop?
0: <laughs> the bitch ship yeah, Bitchcraft. Well, I think one practice that's absolutely essential is indulging your imagination and the freedom that you have. And and this also I I, I think comes with a particular type of privilege. Aging is not the same for everybody. Get you know, agefulness and your economic circumstances, race, class influences that. So, I just want to acknowledge like how lucky and privileged and thankful I am that I'm able to be in that place that where I can indulge my imagination, use the time that comes at this point in your life, right? Where you have the privilege of not having a full-time job, not having the kinds of responsibilities that you have when you have young kids, which I didn't have, but anyway, right? And so I think it's that practice of really rooting yourself in where you are, what your privilege is, whatever that is, and taking full advantage of it because every moment is precious. And I think there's another really important practice, the practice of hanging out with your friends and I think it is the one of the most essential. I mean, Idelis and I do that, and we do that with others, and we intentionally gather. Because time is precious, and because you learn so much, and it's so filled with joy. And I think also about a friend that we both have, who, who, for instance, she intentionally travels all over the world to see her friends every year. And I am very conscious of having friendships that are... You know, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, and how much I took for granted, which was kind of true, that they would just always be there, and they are there, then, mm-hmm. thankfully. But I'm much more intentional now about making space to call somebody or, you know, traveling to see somebody, because I'm very mindful that, of how precious that is,
3: and that we're, we're not going to be here forever. And I think for us, the connection between friends and creativity very much. is very strong. So before we started Two Old Bitches, we started a small group, a creativity circle of women, and it included visual artists, poets, writers, filmmakers, and we're still meeting, having creative practices, are really essential. It keeps you alive longer. It keeps you alive healthier. Like Joanne, right? is one of the most creative people I know. Mm -hmm. So Joanne's idea of a good time is, if she's going to be home alone, is she's playing the piano, writing a song, usually a parody about I don't know what, or she's working on her musical about, you know, assisted living, or she's doing that. You know, I do art classes and I paint, right? Um, I think of Two Old Bitches as a creative practice. Completely. right? Right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I would love to hear about the relationship that you had when you met and this idea of, I'm thinking of, how we look to older people for mentorship often. And it's always older, you know? You don't look for peers to be mentors. What I'm hearing (laughs) in this conversation about friendship and creativity is, like, this combination of looking to people that are your
3: age or or other ages. Well, but this is interesting. So I was, I think, vice president of the Ms. Foundation at the time, and Joanne was a consultant. And I was dealing with an organizational or leadership issue, right? Which was a really difficult one for for me. And Joanne, who had years more experience in organizational development than I did at, at that point, had an expertise, even though I'm a few years older, whatever it is, three or four years older than she is. You know, we thought of ourselves as peers, I would guess, right? <laughs> Despite I thought the, of you
0: as, as my mentor uh-huh. and guru. Well, and I thought <laughs> oh, Joanne
3: is my mentor because she actually she was the one. This issue I was dealing with was had to do with someone who was very narcissistic um, leader, mm-hmm. and you know, within days, Joanne arrives at my office with an article on narcissism and leadership and how to deal with it. So we were, I would say, friendly colleagues, yes. right? And then we went to Beijing. Correct. Oh. For the fourth World Conference on Women. Uh-huh. uh-huh.
2: Okay. There have
0: been four World Conferences on Women. So this was 1995, you might remember what the state of movement building and social justice <laughs> movements were in the United States at that time. And so we brought from the United States to Beijing all of those tensions and issues. Anyway, suffice, suffice to say that you know, when you go through one of those really intense experiences with someone, how you become friends for life because you had this amazing experience. The thing that I always treasure about Idalis is that she asks the best questions. Like, she could ask, she could question her way out of anything. <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty good with questions. And so, when you're in that kind of contested space, right, and there's so much emotion, finding the right questions
3: is actually enormously liberating and helpful, and Ida Lise does that. Um, and what Joanne brought to those contested spaces, right? She has a calmness Mm -hmm. and an acceptance of other human beings. I'm much more judgmental, and I'm a lot judgmental. I would, you know, categorize and label. And Joanne was just like, this is who they are, and she could see their wonderfulness, um, and people feel that. So in a contested situation where, you know, it's all about opposition, when there's this, Mm -hmm. like, you know, hub... Of almost a sense of approval, you are fine the way you are, mm-hmm. and what you think, what you think and believe is as valid as what anybody else in this room thinks and believes. I think is you know is magic. So fast forward like ten years or more, no, fifteen
0: years when we and when came back from California and we started working together and doing facilitation work together, is that it is interesting, Edie. that now, you know, I th- I, and I was thinking this on the way over because I was listening to your interview with Adrienne Marie Brown. Um, One of my favorite people in the world. Yeah, about pleasure and how I think that we are much more open now and easy with pleasure. Like, in 1995, I was much more consumed with the purpose and with the seriousness of our work, which is still And being serious. successful and getting it right. And getting it mm. focused and making a difference and making a change. And all those things are true still. It's just the path is very different now. So when like Idalis and I facilitate together, we have so much fun and we're much less worried about
3: the agenda. And it's interesting because when I look back, I always took my pleasures there, you know, the pleasures of friendship. All of those pleasures, but we didn't um, value it. And Adrienne Marie Brand is, you know, I'm like the president of her fan club. (laughs) And she and I did a year-long leadership training together, I don't know, a long time ago. And this is also, I think, a practice, another it's practice. Always have younger friends than you younger and older. You know there's some I read somewhere that you should have at least one friend for every decade of life, right? I have a handful of friends in their 20s easing into their 30s and then another handful in their 30s easing into their 40s, right? They are just amazing. And Adrian Marie, Brown is one of those and she was the first person who ever described me as an elder, right? When I met her I think I was 60 something and I was at this training and it was very kind of low point in my life um, where I was just feeling old and kind of, you know, what am I going to do now in my life? And we did this. We had this wonderful session where at the end of the session, we're reporting back about how we feel now, right? And you do all these exercises, right? So I think I said something like I, I came in like a downtrodden matron and I'm leaving as a radiant hottie. Um, you know, it's totally ridiculous, right? But, you know, they kind of saw me in a different way and therefore I could maybe, you know, see myself in a different way. But Adrian called me an elder and I have to say one of my proudest accomplishments is that I am mentioned in the introduction to pleasure activism as a pleasure activist elder.
1: Hey, 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 this is Kate just dropping into this awesome conversation to invite you to be part of book club. If you are listening to this right when it comes out, then next week is our online virtual hangout to discuss pleasure activism, which we've been reading for the past three months. Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good is a book by Adrienne Marie Brown, and Adrienne and two contributors, Amita Swadhin and Monique Tula, are joining us on a virtual discussion just for our book club members. So if you're a member of book club, make sure that you go to Patreon and comment on the post where we are asking for questions, questions, thoughts, insights, any requests for what you want to hear Adrian, Monique, and Amita talk about on the Hangout. And if you're interested in joining Book Club, check it out at patreon.com slash healing justice. You'll see that any level at the $10 a month level and up includes Book Club, and we encourage you to check out the different benefits we have on our Patreon All of this is about raising money to keep this project completely free and accessible to everyone who needs it. We are building the biggest digital clearinghouse, digital gathering place around which folks who are practicing at this intersection can gather. And it takes a lot of work and costs a lot of money to put this show together. And so our Patreon is really all about asking you, the listener, if you can, to be in economic reciprocity with us and help us support this project. And for those of you who do have resources to do that, you are helping fund it for everybody else, which is amazing. And then things like Book Club are our extra way of saying thank you, of providing you a little bit of a deeper experience in this community. So after August 6th, which is our virtual hangout with Adrian. We are moving into our next book selection, which you'll hear announced in our next round of episodes that come out on August 13th, 2019. And so you'll have to stay tuned to see what that next book is. We're continuing to partner with our book club sponsor, AK Press, who are offering all of our listeners a 15% off discount code using the word podcast when buying any book at akpress.org including audiobooks so thank you for listening thanks for supporting and i am having just as much if not more fun as you are listening in on this conversation with ide joanne and shauna so let's kick it back to them
3: Alta Star and I have a little conversation on yes. pleasure after
2: 60. I know, and I wanted to ask you about that because I'm also in the Adrienne Marie Brown fan club. But I wanted to ask you about your, your conversation with Adrienne Marie Brown and Alta Star and pleasure activism, where you say your mantra, which is If it pleases me, I will. If it pleases me, I will. And then you caveat that with saying, there's an ethics that surrounds that. Absolutely, there's no, there, there's
3: no. Separation. You don't do harm to your yourself or others, right? I mean, how many of us? I've met any woman yet, really, who allowed herself the freedom from the time she was a young woman to really please herself, within that ethos, right? Mm-hmm. To really please herself. So much concern about, you know, kind of external norms, and so much concern. We had a wonderful interview with an artist, Sharon Loudon, who, in that interview, two things came up that are, I think, very meaningful and, and useful. I wish I'd known it when I was younger, right? I often heard, right, that I was too much. Too loud, too smart, too this, too that, on one side. And then on the other hand, I would also hear that I wasn't enough, Mm. that I wasn't attractive enough, that I wasn't sweet enough, (laughs) that I wasn't this enough. You weren't around enough. Right? I mean, whatever it was. So I wonder how many of us, you know, kind of find ourselves trying to navigate, being told we're too much and not enough mm-hmm. and never and just sort of like you are just enough the way you are. Just please yourself. Trust yourself. That's what pleasing yourself you know, if it pleases me I will. It's about trust your own desire and good judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right then about what you do in the world and And embrace as much freedom as you possibly can. Because we don't all have as much freedom as we would like, you know, because of race and class and all sorts of privileges and oppressions that are out there.
2: That's right. What's your mantra these days,
0: Joanne? (sighs) Well, you know, I just read, Ide sent to me the um, piece that, Annie Lamont wrote, and at the end, and I have to preface this by saying I don't really cry very easily. I used to, but I don't anymore. The things that make me cry are the weirdest things. Like I just get triggered, and I read the last line, and I was just bawling because she says she like invokes Baba Ramdas and says, you know, as Baba Ramdas said, at the end of the day, we're all just walking each other home, and that was for wow. me I know <laughs> I can't cry now there's mm. that's a, yeah that's that's my
3: mantra this week like we're all just and, walking and each other home it's <laughs> so perfect and she doesn't cry this woman doesn't I mean I think I've never I've, seen it a- I yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've seen a tear but I don't I've never seen God and I don't want I don't want you to reveal <laughs> how many times you've seen me cry um I used to call myself the crying manager when I ran the Tides Foundation. No, and at the Miss Foundation you would have crying sessions. Well, so to speak. <laughs> but, and I actually, for a long she time, was like that. that was part of my, you know, judgment about myself, you know, that I would leak in a meeting, right? <laughs> that, yeah, when I left Heights after 11 years, yeah, a lot of staff who had been there for a lot of the time I was there, particularly a particular lot of the young women would say to me, You know, that mattered to me so much. That there you were, you, you were the CEO of the foundation and giving away all these millions and doing all this stuff. And, and you would sit there with us and the tears would come. You know, that you were just a human being. I'm not as ashamed of it as I used to be. <laughs> that is a huge, huge
2: lesson and gift, I think. That you cry. People, I cry all the time. Yeah, you're a good I don't crier. claim it quite like that, though. So that I think to hear it in that way, and to, to claim it in that way, that it actually empowers others to be their full selves, too.
3: Because it, to it is about your passion yeah. and your feelings and why aren't our feelings welcome in, in meeting rooms and at and work? Our feelings are there. You might as well it's welcome great. them, yes, right? Rather than try to squelch them.
0: Mm-hmm. It is about creating spaces where people can be authentic, mm-hmm. whatever they do, right? If they cry, they cry. If they don't cry, Die they, cry they don't. That's cry. Also fine. And and it is so challenging because people are not conditioned that way not from any place in the world since you know I work with people from all over the world whether it's Sudan or Cambodia or what we all come to these spaces with so much judgment and expectation right and and the work of creating a space where you can let that go and really appreciate People mm-hmm. is,
3: is like the work. That's, that is such an important thing. You just do. made me think of another bitch, bitchcraft practice, What's and that? that's playfulness. Yes. Mm. So, playfulness, you know, kind of writ large. So, Joanne and I, and, and Sarah Gould, a longtime colleague who, again, from the Ms. Foundation, facilitated um, a process for four women's arts organizations and we did three convenings for them and we brought because as facilitators we use a lot of games and silliness playfulness and i think the feedback was that being in that kind of space a playful space does make it possible for you to be more yeah, authentic that's right. and not just silly but authentic and all the the range of feelings and behaviors that that encompasses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: You both have learned so much in your own lives and from each other, like I'm just hearing from this discussion, and I'm curious what do you wish that your elders had told you about themselves and their lessons when you were younger? You know, I
0: think about this a lot. The sad part for me is that it wouldn't have mattered because I couldn't listen to elders. I was very resistant It's not that I wish someone had told me. I wish I had been able to accept the wisdom that people offered me, which I didn't and couldn't. And the thing that I've been thinking a lot about recently is trust. You know, like, in Two Old Bitches, I feel like a theme that comes up a lot is say yes. So many of the women that we talk to, if you think about... What they're relating about the trajectory of their lives and how there were these twists and turns, you know, in their river of life. A lot of the twists were because they said yes at unlikely moments, Hmm. in unlikely circumstances. And how do you get to that place where you can say yes? Partly you have to trust that things are going to be okay, right? You have to trust, not, you have to trust yourself and the universe all that stuff about trust, like who can you trust, who can't you trust, Mm -hmm. etc., etc., was probably the wrong message that I got from other people, that Mm -hmm. actually trust comes from within, Mm -hmm. right? Trust yourself, and then you can start to trust the people and the events and the things that are happening around you. I was taught... Six million Jews were murdered, you're always going to be a victim. And so you can't trust, right? And that's exactly where I got that, that switch of, that was, the, that was the message I got from the day I was born. You can't trust anybody but each other. That work of shedding that is really hard. And, and I still feel at some level it's
3: essential. I did the Rockwood Leadership Program, the mm-hmm. year-long. I actually did it twice. I did two year-longs with Robert Cass. And, you know, you do these year-longs, and it's 20 or so people. Everybody in this group fall in love with every other person in that group. That's the and you think that this is so <laughs> exceptional, right? That oh my God, I lucked out in this group of amazing people, and you tend to forget that at the beginning you really thought those two or three people you could tolerate, but you know maybe now feel close to, and now you love them with all your heart, right? You know you kind of forget that, and Robert would always tell us, remind us, he goes, it could have been any other. 19 human beings in the world. And we would have gone through what we would have and You would have loved them too.
0: And see, that's what I mean about trust. That's what I have learned. And so particularly from the perspective of, we all do group facilitation, right? We all work with groups of people. And I used to think, oh, I have to plan everything, and I have to create all these processes because these are the objectives and we're going to get from here to here. Duh, I realize exactly what he said. You put 30 people in a room together and you create an environment that is generative and nurturing and creative and playful and respectful and they will figure it out. They will figure out how to work together. They will figure out how to satisfy each other. They will figure out how to hear each other. Almost always. That is such a miracle, isn't it? When, when I was working with the Miss Foundation and, and I was co-facilitating a session on alternative dispute resolution with a Native American woman named Debbie Harry. And so she taught me something so important, which is to look at kind of, you know, to do a, a conflict analysis, to think of it as a ladder and helping people to climb the ladder to the highest place where they agree. Mm. Right. And so I always think about that, like whether I'm with my family or friends, you know, as people are kind of not hearing each other and not listening and, and clashing, like, okay, that's happening at a communication level. But where's that place where they see something collectively and have an aspiration collectively? And how do you bring people there? so that all those other things, the conflicts around communication or values or whatever else, you know, you can, you can kind of transcend those by going to a
3: higher level. Mm-hmm. And I think, right parallel with that, what's absolutely essential is what um, Eugene Kim, and, and a wonderful collaboration consultant, talks about, which is tender mm-hmm. transparency. And I actually find that term really helpful. And I do think it's part of bitchcraft, actually, and part of the process that you were just describing, Joanne. Because in order to get to that place, people have to be vulnerable, right? Most of the conflict is, you know, all of the armor you have to put on and that most of us walk in the room with in order to survive, you know, all of what gets thrown at us and this concept of tender transparency. Mm. I've always been direct. I had to work on tenderizing. <laughs> uh, Were you I, tenderized? I, <laughs> I actually sometimes <laughs> laugh at myself. Sometimes I feel like an expensive steak that right. has <laughs> <It's> been <laughs> aged to be tenderized. Not marble. Yeah, you know, but in, in that process, it's sort of like finding that tenderness in yourself which I think is so related to the mm. question of trust, trust. and starting yes, by trusting right. yourself, that's finding right. the tenderness. It's why I think that, you know, these kind of popular gurus like um, Renee Brown and Elizabeth Gilbert, right. were are all talking about vulnerability. And love. And love. Yeah. But vulnerability is that, you know, I think, you know, Eugene coined tenderness, and I like that because asking people to be vulnerable in some of these spaces is... I'm not willing to say that. that. But asking them to be gentle with each other in their truth-telling.
2: Yeah.
3: Right? And to risk telling the truth, being mindful about not wounding somebody in the process, that to me is asking them to be vulnerable without using that word. Mm. Isn't that what you do with respectful confrontation?
2: Yeah, you have to. You have to know what matters to you. To this idea of going high, you know, which is I, I think I just heard Michelle Obama. You know, when we go high, yeah, just the go high part, right? Yes. Like, to get to when they go of, low, we go high. When you, yeah, but I like the go like let's go high. Yeah, where and is so it? in conflict, you know, yeah. What's your high? What's, What's your, your personal high? high? Yes. and how do you get that other person to hear you and and listen? and help them to go high at the same time.
0: And, and then how do you also, because this is the other part of it, how do you deal with power? Yeah. And that is the other part of like evolving work. You know, I am a big advocate of therapy and have been in therapy like, for most of my life, because I really love supporting people who have their degrees in psychology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my therapist, <laughs> who I love, who's like my <sighs> media,
1: um,
0: she always says that power struggles last much longer than love in relation to like, relationships. right? And I think about that all the time as I'm engaging in a power struggle. Like, Why am I engaging in this power struggle when I can replace that somehow with love if I can find a way to do that.
2: I just want to thank you both so much for spending this time and it's been so rich and I've been craving this conversation with the two old bitches. you know I feel so privileged that us young young bitches get to sit here with you because um, when you listen to your podcast, it's like you're sitting in a um, you're sitting in a very sort of privileged position. Uh, very intimate conversations with people that you so admire. Like some of them I know, some of them I don't, but I just admire them all. And I just wanted to uh, I was just jotting down some of these the the recipe for you know, we don't like cookbooks and, and toolboxes. They're annoying and not super emergent, but there was some Recipe for Bishcraft that I thought, you know, some elements of the recipes for mm. Bishcraft. Are you um, going to write a recipe book? I'm not, but I just, got, I just <laughs> but want to name so some great. of them for, for us. Um, friendship and creativity and that combination together. Obviously, being yourself and being unapologetic about it. Trusting yourself and, and trusting others as if, you know, you're, you're in it for the long haul with them. Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Therapy.
3: Therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just should know that I am not as big a fan, <laughs> okay, a fan so of Okay, so maybe it's not in the recipe, but yeah. maybe it's an
2: appendix to the recipe. It's an appendix. Um, tender transparency that Eugene Kim um, term and, and the vulnerability that is required to do that play.
0: I love that you made that list.
2: I love that you came up with it.
3: Thank you, Shauna. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. I, mean,
2: I feel tenderized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Enormous thank you to Advisory Circle member Shauna Wakefield for convening and emceeing that conversation. Thank you to Idelice Malave and Joanne Sandler, the two old bitches, for joining us and speaking so frankly and just modeling what it is to be in this work for the long haul in a really serious and smart way and also just having fun. I don't know about y'all, but just seeing folks who are decades ahead of me in this work move with such lightness and laughter is just like water to my soul to think, oh yeah, like that's where I'm going. <laughs> huge, huge thank you to Tooled Bitches. If you wanna hear them mouth off some more, you could listen to their podcast. It's called Tooled Bitches. You can subscribe to it anywhere that you listen to this podcast. And you can also find them at twooldbitches.com with the number two spelled out T W O. Next week, they'll be offering a practice that is called the do over. And I really like this activity, it is a tool to help you reflect on experiences of discrimination or bias and to seed creativity. It's a practice that can be done as a group or alone and helps connect personal and political action. So if you want to try out that practice, just look at the next episode here on the podcast and try it out, led by Joanne and Ide. Enormous thank yous as usual go out to our sound designer, Zach Meyer at The Coal Room. And anything we talked about during the show, credits, links, etc., further resources you can find in the show notes, which is the description of the episode. You can also see there the opportunity to join our email list and you can join that at healingjustice.org. We'll let you know about events that we're doing in person that you can come join and cool resources that we put up on the podcast so that you don't miss uh, major exciting episodes. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So stay in touch with us there. And we share some pretty gorgeous stuff every single day. So we'd love to be in conversation with you on social media about what's impacting you and how you're using the tools from these episodes. Thank you so much for being here and being part of this growing community. I am so pumped to grow decades more into this work with all of you as part of my greater movement community. So let's do it y'all hear you next week.